For those of you who are just maybe just tuning in or maybe this is just your second time here, um, we're closing out this series this week. We started it six weeks ago, and I explained that this is a series that we did 18 years ago um, that we got from Andy Stanley's church in Georgia. He had written a book called The Greatest Question Ever. It's since been re- reprinted into a book called Ask It. I've encouraged you to get that book, and you'll notice that most of the material that we're covering is from is found in that book because it was from a, a sermon series, foolproof, that he did uh, some 20 years ago. With permission, of course, we, we used that. And then when Rich and I were looking, Pastor Rich and I were looking at what are the message series, the sermon series that have had the biggest impact on our lives over the last two decades, um, because this is what I like to bring you at, in summertime, is the best of the best. So if you're here in summer, um, it's worth your time. I know you got, I'm not saying cancel your cruise because you can watch online from your cruise ship. Um, I'm not saying cancel your vacation. You can watch from the mountains, but this is worth your time, and uh, we know that, and I know that if you were here 10 years ago, you've already been telling your, your children, like I told my children, this question literally thousands of times. In fact, my kids have heard this question so much they thought that I made up the question, um, and that's okay. Uh, with me. So we're closing out this series, and we've been talking about how we've all done some dumb stuff in our lives. Next week, and I want, I want to remember to tell you this before we get started, I'm going to start a new series um, called Who is Jesus? Um, or Jesus is what? And I hope that you will be here and bring some friends with you. Brand new series, and um, we'll cover, you know, we'll be back to 30 verses, 20 or 30 verses a week. Um, for those of you who are, who are uh, pining for that. But this, we've got one more time to talk about not just the best question ever, but I think the best decision ever. I'm going to ask you to make the best decision ever at the end of the message today. Because um, we're talking about how we've all done some, some dumb stuff in our lives. In fact, if somebody invited you to this series, if someone said to you, hey, you gotta, we're in this great series, you've got to come to this series, it's because they figured out you've done some dumb stuff in your life. <laughs> Probably. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. Uh, but we all have. We all have done some dumb stuff in our, in our lives. There's money we wish we've never spent. And there's, there's relationships, honestly, we wish we'd never gotten into. Some people even have marriages they wish they'd never gotten into. Um, there's investments we wish we'd never made. I'm going to tell you about some of mine my embarrassing investments today. Um, you should never take investment advice from a pastor. That's just a rule of thumb, okay? <laughs> We're smart in some things, but not in those things. Uh, we'll talk about that. There are invitations we wish we had never received, isn't there, in our lives. There are opportunities which we had never taken advantage of. You know, this is a ground floor opportunity. you got to dive in, you know, to this elevator shaft, right? <laughs> We have lots of regrets. It goes on and on and on and on in our life. We've all made decisions that we regret. And all of us can look back on those moments of regret. And in some cases, it may have just been one night that changed your life forever. I'm so sorry. Or in some cases, for some of us, it was a weekend. Or maybe it was a week of spring break. Or for some people, it was, a, it was longer than that. It was months or maybe even years on the prodigal path. And all of us, if we could, you know, if, if there was a time machine, if Elon Musk came out with the time machine, or Bezos, and you could, you could order it on, you buy your ticket on Amazon, you could go back in time to change that decision. 
Man, wouldn't you want to do that? There are chapters in our lives we wish we could rewrite. The odd thing is, and looking back on all those years, it's obvious to us now how dumb that was, how stupid that was, how, how obvious. What were, in fact, that's what we say to ourselves. What was I thinking? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so foolish? How could I have made such a gross mistake? It's, it's clear now, isn't it, as we look back? And what's strange is you run into people today who are making the same decisions. And if, and if you love them, if they're kind of close to you, like someone you work with, someone you, in your family, maybe it's even your children, you go to them and you try to tell them, don't do that. You know, you don't want to go there. I have done that. I've been there. That road does not take you where you think it's going to go. You do not want to go down that path. And they respond the same way we responded to people who tried to tell us. Basically, it's none of your blank, blank, blank business. Is that how you put it? I'm sad to say it. Probably that's how I did. And, and Because they feel like this is what I need to do. This is what my heart, which is so deceitful, is telling me to do. And in this series, we've been talking about how are we going to regret-proof the rest of our life. Our goal in this series is how do I come to a place where I quit making these bad decisions, I quit making these big mistakes, I quit having these huge regrets in life. In fact, what if, what if we could live the rest of our life in such a way that we have very few regrets from here on out? Or maybe even no regrets from here on out. We've said that one of the ways that we can do that, that we can regret-proof our life, is by asking this best question ever. I'm asking you to write it down for the sixth week in a row. And you already know the answer. I don't even need to give you a, a, a slide for this, but we will. Because the best question ever is, what is the wise thing to do? Not what is everybody else doing, not what is legal, not what is moral, not what is, you know, how close to the sin line can I get without actually go crossing over into sinning. We spend a lot of time contemplating that. The question for me, and not really for everybody else, because we're all at different places, we all have different paths, we all have different circumstances in our life right now, what is the wise thing for me to do? And we've been talking about how we need to ask this question on three different layers or levels of life in every area, arena of life. Because we are a unique combination of our past experiences and our current responsibilities and probably even our future hopes and dreams, we've been, we've been putting it this way. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me, me only, to do? And this is the grid by which I need to evaluate all of my decisions because we're all unique in some way, and at some point along my life, I have to start asking in every area, in every really decision of my life, this question, what's the wise thing for me to do? In light of your past, in light of your current, a lot of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for you to do? And then Pastor Rich introduced a sub-question last week. And that is, what do you do when you don't know the wise thing to do? What do you do when you say, well, what's the wise thing for me to do? And you go, oh, I don't know what the wise thing is for me to do. And what we said is, wise people ask. 
And you could say it this way. What do wise people around you consider is the wisest course of action for you to take? You've got to find some people who are farther along in life than you, who maybe they've had the same kind of messed up past or not, or the same kind of difficult circumstances or not, or the same kinds of hopes and dreams or not, but you've identified them as, you know what, that's someone who makes wise decisions. I'm going to go ask the wise people in my life, what do you think is the wisest thing for me to do in this situation? People ask me this all the time. There's, these are two powerful questions. A lot of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? And what do the wise people around me consider the wisest course of action is for me to take? Acting on the answers to these questions will set us up for a life of few regrets, or at least fewer regrets. But therein lies the problem, isn't it? Doesn't it? We have to act. We have to follow through. We're going to talk about following through this week. It doesn't do us a whole lot of good to ask, what is the wise thing for me to do and then not do it? But let's be honest, sometimes that's, that's our story. So I want you to write this down. This is so important as we close out this series. For God to use the best question ever in my life, we have to act on what we discover. We fill that in. ACT. We have to act. We have to take action. We have to do it. This week, I want us to think about follow through. Because there are rules and there are principles that govern every area of life. Think about that. There are rules that govern art. There are rules that govern music. There are rules that govern architecture. There's rules that govern law. There's rules that govern finances. There's rules that govern medicine. In fact, this is the principle that pretty much governs everything. In order to make wise decisions about any area of life, we need to understand the principles and the rules and the laws that govern that area. Our accountant can't give us very good counsel, very wise counsel, unless he or she knows the principles of accounting and all the IRS codes that they keep pumping out daily, right? When you choose a doctor, you assume that he or she is an expert in his or her field of medicine. And that they know the, how the human body works, and they know what to do when it doesn't work so well. If you were to hire a builder to build you a house, you would expect them to understand all of the codes as well as the principles of construction, you would want to know that they've got a wealth of experience and knowledge in this field before you ever hire them to build you a house. Because in every arena or in any arena of life, I cannot make wise decisions unless I know the principles and the parameters of the arena in which I am working. In every area of life, you got to know some things before you can make that wise decision. Because if you're not aware of the principles or the laws or the context, it's impossible for you to make the wisest choice, the wisest decision. We must be taught certain laws, certain principles, in order to be equipped 
to be able to make wise decisions. That's why it's more difficult to make wise decisions when you're very young. Because you don't have a, you don't have a breadth of knowledge yet. Some of us in our 50s, we're not that wise. We've just been on the planet a long time. We, we've got the scars. Well, that didn't work the last six times I touched the hot stove. I'm just saying you shouldn't touch it. Why? Been burnt. Times six. Okay? <laughs> Did you all do that six times? I mean, some of us, we are hard-headed. It's hard for us to learn. So I want you to think about some areas of expertise in life. For me, when Nancy and I first got married, we've been married, this will be 35 years this year, coming up soon. For the first 15 to 20 years or so, um, I took all of our receipts and all of our pay stubs and all of our, our income statements to our accountant every February or March, usually it was in March, and I would ask her to prepare our tax returns. And we had an accountant prepare our tax returns because she knew all the tax laws and she understood the principles of accounting and, and filing your taxes. A lot of decisions that needed to be made, and I knew that she could make these decisions way better than I could make these decisions because she went to school for that. The wisest decisions are made in the context that you're in by people who know the laws and the principles and the rules and the boundaries of that particular area. Now, years later, I started filing our taxes electronically. Um, through one of those computer programs that you buy online. And, I mean, after 15 to 20 years of watching our accountant Dana do our taxes and asking her all kinds of questions, I felt confident enough to do it on our own. I still printed off the returns, though, and went in there, made the appointment, had her go over all my work, kind of check my homework, um, and get her approval before I hit submit. See, I was willing to do more of the paperwork to save a little bit of money, to plug in the numbers on the computer, save a few bucks, but I still trusted her as my expert. I entrusted her to oversee what I put into the computer and what the computer spit out because I didn't have any idea what the IRS really wanted, but she still was up on all those codes. I mean, she has MBA. She has 25 to 30 years of experience. She's the expert, but I did all the paperwork myself, and I send it all in myself. Today, I do it all, but she's just an email away, and I keep, in, I, hey, what should I do in this? And this is asking me this. Is this what this means? I email her for clarification. She might be watching. Thanks, Dana, uh, online, but we still seek her help for family members who have a more complicated tax situation. She still does the whole return for several of our family members because... She's the expert, and we are not. On another front, I've built several houses in my life. We built one ourselves, owner-builder. We did almost all the work ourselves. And then we hired a builder to build two different builders to build two of our homes. I've also been a, a part of a lot of teams that have done commercial construction here at the church. We've built this building, and renovated our other buildings, um, and lots of projects that we've had going on. I've sat in many of those meetings with architects and, 
in contractors and subcontractors, I've often offered my suggestions to which an architect or a contractor, usually the nice one of the two, would look at me and politely tell me that, yeah, that's just impossible, you know, because of gravity and physics and all these things. There's no way that would work. Or they would just, maybe not so nice, say, Pastor, this is a bad idea. You, you just pray and raise the money. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this. Sometimes the direct approach is what I need. But I did learn to defer to their judgment anyway because the people who make the wisest decisions about things of construction and architecture are the people who went to school and have all of the decades of experience in architecture and construction. Go figure, huh? They understand things that you and I may have never accounted for when we're trying to make a wise decision architecturally. I, I've stood on lots of job sites and I've listened to the conversation between subs and, and general contractors as they've made adjustments related to constructing a building, this very building you're sitting in. I've listened to them talk and I've realized, wow, they are coming. They have a, a depth of knowledge, a pool of knowledge that's so vast, I have no concept compared to how much they know about this particular piece or part of a building or this project or area that they're working. They know all the rules, all the limits, all the principles, and all the context, and they're the person to make the wisest decision. I'm just going to go with what the expert says. The same is true in medicine. The same is true in art. The same is true in music. An expert provides a service for people that they can't provide for themselves because they understand this broad, this deep body of information. They have the education. They have the, the experience. They know all the principles, laws, all the... An expert draws from all of that to help make a decision. Now, the interesting thing about this principle is even if you're the expert, even if you know all the rules and you know all the principles and you know all the guidelines and you understand the context of a particular field, it doesn't automatically make the decision for you. It narrows the decision. If you're the expert, you can go, oh, yeah, there's not ten, there's not ten op there's not really ten options here. There's three options. You really only have three choices. This is not so good. This is probably better, but this is the wise one. Of these. The other seven are, are bogus. They're not, even, they're not even on the table. When you're the expert, it doesn't make the decision, but it narrows it down. You immediately know, or you immediately know, Pastor, no way we can do that. Why? Impossible. You know, without God intervening, there'd be like a Damascus Road kind of a miracle. You're not going to be able to do that. And I'm like, okay, I'll pray for that. Many of us have tried to make our own decisions before without having an expert. And things didn't go so good. You ever tried to do your own investing without an expert? I have. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> we all know lots of people who say they're experts, right? You have friends that give you stock tips? They should not be your friends. I'm only kidding. Quit giving your friends talk, stock tips. Um, about 20 years ago, I set up an IRA E-Trade account to save a little bit on taxes. Somebody said that was a good idea. Um, and a couple of the people I were work, was working out with, I mean, because the gym, a lot of tax experts are at the gym. That's why I quit working out. <laughs> I bought Krispy Kreme stock. That sounds safe. I bought Yahoo stock. Yahoo! 
and I bought Roadhouse Grill stock. Why? Because I like Krispy Kreme, Roadhouse Grill, and I was using Yahoo all the time at that time. <laughs> Safe investments because, man, I, I use their product, right? You know how much my $4,000 E-Trade portfolio is worth today? Not $40. Negative $40. That's what usually happens, right? Krispy Kreme makes really good donuts. They don't have such a great business model. They get overexpanded. That Roadhouse Grill I invested in went belly up. Even Yahoo went from like $200, $150 a share down to like $10 a share before Verizon gobbled them up. There is no Yahoo now. We decide to invest without consulting an expert, even though we have friends that are experts. And then after five or ten years of that, you start to realize, maybe I need a real expert. And you find people that have a track record. You find people that have, have a breadth of knowledge. You find people that can help you make a lot wiser decisions because on my own, I'm the kiss of death for whatever stock you get me to invest in with you. In fact, I've told people, you have a company you want to tank, buy me some stock. <laughs> They'll go under. I just have that Midas or opposite touch. Here's the thing. Let's take this a step further. Just knowing, even if you're the expert, just knowing the principles is not enough. Just being aware of all this knowledge is not enough. You have to, even if you're the expert, you have to submit that is not a word we like. You have to submit to the principles, to the rules, and to the regulations of whatever field that you're talking with. Let me have you write this down. In order to make wise decisions, I must submit to the principles, laws, and regulations of any particular arena of life. So if you're a surgeon or when a surgeon goes into the operating room, they have to not only know all of the, the laws and the rules and be aware of how the body works and how the medicine works. They have to submit themselves to that knowledge. They can't just go, well, I know all that, but I'm going to do something anyway. Well, I know all of that, but I'm going to do my own thing. Does anyone want that surgeon? No. They have to make their decisions by submitting those decisions to the rules, to the regulations, to the general principles that are the authority over that area, whether it's medicine or whatever. When I place myself as an expert under the authority or I submit to the laws, the values, the principles, then I'm able to help people or I'm able to make the wise decisions myself. So I watch other people, or I watch myself making decisions, and I realize that what we do is we do submit ourselves to the rules of medicine. We do submit ourselves to the rules of architecture and construction. We do submit ourselves to, to all of these accounting principles. And we don't have that big of a problem because, hey, my doctor's an expert and my contractor is an expert and my architect and my accountant is an expert. I will submit myself and my decisions to their advice because they are submitting themselves to all of these laws and these principles. We don't have a problem submitting ourselves to the laws of nature 
or the principles discovered in nature. But here's the perplexing thing. There's still something in all of us that resists the notion of totally surrendering and submitting to the God who is behind all of those systems. There's something in me that resists. Will you write that down? There's something in me that resists to total surrender to God. In other words, there's a God behind physics and gravity. You didn't invent gravity. Elon, Bezos didn't invent gravity. God is behind gravity and physics. By the way, God is behind all of the systems that make the human body because he created us and he created every other organism on this planet. And even though I'm willing to submit myself to the laws of physics or the laws of gravity or the laws of physiology, of cardiovascular systems and every other system that medicine studies, even though I'm willing to submit myself to many of those people who are experts in those areas, when it comes down to it, why is it so hard to acknowledge God and submit to his authority when he is the one who's given us all of these arenas? I mean, I recognize the experts in law and experts in medicine, the experts in investing, but I have trouble submitting to the one who created all of that. That. Is there any wonder why we make such bad decisions? When I go to the doctor, I expect them to know everything there is about the human body that God created. I want them to know the body inside out by studying the bodies that God created and be an expert in their particular field. I want them to know all the, all the intricacies, all the latest techniques. I want them to give me the best advice. And I'm willing to submit myself to my doctor hoping and knowing and praying that he has submitted himself to all the laws of physiology, of anatomy that God has put together. I listen to him. But when it comes time to say yes to God, yes, God, I will follow you anywhere. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll let you be the supreme authority in my life. Oh, man, am I resistant. Is it no wonder we make such dumb Foolish, can I say the S word, stupid decisions. In other words, if there really is a God, you've got to figure that out. Is there a God or not? If there really is a God of all wisdom and all knowledge who understands all the laws and the principles that we've been talking about, and we are unwilling to submit to him, is it any wonder why we do so many dumb things? Does anyone wonder why we have so many regrets? Because we ignore the one person who wants to give us wisdom, who wants to help us. In any particular area, we understand. In order to make wise decisions, I've got to submit to this body of knowledge. I've got to submit and get the advice from these wise people who've submitted themselves to this, the laws in that area. But when it comes to our lives in general... When it comes to the big picture, we ignore and we resist. We even fear what might happen to us if we submit to his authority. I need the wisdom of doctors. I need my accountant. 
I need all these other, but I don't need God's wisdom because I want to call my own shots. That's something in all of us. I want to do my own thing. I hear what you say, God, but I think I'm an expert on this decision, in this area, in these relationships. And we refuse to acknowledge the Creator, the Father of all wisdom. And it was this dynamic that was going on in the mind. It was this principle that was going on in the life of the author of the proverb that we're going to look at today. This verse from Proverbs. He wrote it down with that going on in his mind. Pastor Rich mentioned last week that Solomon, King Solomon, was considered the wisest man in the world. God promised him wisdom. And then God said, Solomon, I'm going to give you more wisdom than any person who's ever lived before you or ever lives after you. Solomon's the wisest man to have ever lived. And God said that. God told Solomon he'd give more wisdom. And he was a king and he was a leader and he was the son of a king. And he was an architect and he was a constructor and he was an artist and he wrote literature and he wrote poetry and he wrote songs and he was incredibly talented. And at that time, he was the wealthiest man to ever live on the planet. But, and this is one of the big buts of the Bible, but we learn from other places in his writing, even though he was the wisest person and even though he knew God, and even though he acknowledged God, Solomon decides to use his own wealth and his own power to explore every human experience under the sun. He ignored God in his principles. He disobeyed God in God's laws. He knew the right thing. He knew the wise thing, and he didn't do it. And we would say, that is the king of stupid of foolish, of dumb, to know the right thing and not do it, Solomon's just like us. And he uses every decision, every, every direction possible to fulfill and satisfy himself. He tried to satisfy every appetite of the human soul. And he had the power to control most of the outcomes and the consequences. And then he came back. He goes on this prodigal journey, and then he comes back at the end. And Solomon looked at all the consequences of his own life, of ignoring God and ignoring God's principles, of trying to leverage all of his power for his own benefit. And he realizes something. He says he realizes that it was all vanity, and it was all a big waste of time. And Solomon saw that there was no real fulfillment, no real satisfaction outside of the context of submission to the God who was behind all of that. All that he had seen and experienced. Here's how he puts it in Proverbs 9.10. Solomon, when he comes back, says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. In other words, in any area, wisdom begins with the understanding and the framework of submitting to the rules and principles of that area. But the same, the same is true in the broadest sense of life. That wisdom in general, wisdom in general for your life, begins 
with the fear of the Lord, which is simply a recognition of who he is and a willingness, you're not going to like this word, to submit to his rules and his principles. Let me give you a definition of fear of the Lord. Will you fill this in? Fear of the Lord is a recognition and a reverence that leads to the word we don't like, submission. Fear of the Lord is a recognition and a reverence that leads to submission. I recognize that God is God and I'm not. If you read the Purpose Driven Life book, it's in the first page. It's not about you. God is God and I'm not. God's always smarter than I am. Duh. Which means I might not always understand him. Well, I don't understand why God wants me to do that. Of course you don't. We talked about that. You can't understand. But even though I don't understand, or even if I don't understand, I know there's something behind what God is asking me to do. Therefore, I'm going to say yes, even though I don't understand it, or even before I understand it. Of course I don't understand it. My answer is still yes, Lord. Why? Because I recognize and I reverence that you are God and I'm not. I'm going to say yes, even before I know. Not only will I recognize who God is, I'll also revere him. And what do you do? What would anyone do who recognizes that there is a God? Do you know what you do when you come face to face with the real fact that there is a God in heaven who created the whole the whole universe, including me and you. What's the natural, ordinary thing to do if you really believe that there is a God who controls and is behind all things? What else can you do but submit? I mean, how do you resist God? How do you run from God? How do you wrestle or fight or argue with God? How do you try to outsmart God? How do you say, well, that doesn't apply. You didn't know about the Internet. You didn't know. How, how, how smart are we? Foolish, foolish, dumb, dumb, stupid, stupid, decision after decision after decision after decision. You see, the natural thing to do when you come face to face with the fact that there is a God and you're not him is to submit and surrender. This is the natural response. And Solomon told us he tried it all to the 10th power. And he recognized that the beginning of wisdom as it relates to all life is the submission and the recognition that God is God and you're not. That it's not about what, but it is about who. It's not about what God asks. It's about who's asking it. The beginning of wisdom is not considering if there is a God. The, can, the beginning of wisdom is when you realize there's a God. Then considering, well, what's my response then? What is God's will for me? The beginning of wisdom is when we say yes to God. Before we even know the question. Yes, God. Now, what's the question? The answer 
submitting to God because of who He is, not because of what He's asking. I mean, God, my answer is going to be yes, no matter what you ask. Why? Because you're God and I'm not. Let me read you the second half of the proverb. Proverbs 9:10. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Some translations say wisdom. Literally, knowledge, the knowledge of God, the Holy One, brings understanding and wisdom in all of life. Solomon tells us that he has revered and submitted to God once again. And he has gained great understanding. When we submit to God, we start to understand him. And we begin to understand why he asks us everything he asks us to do. Why he asks things in a certain way. Why his standards are so high. Why he requires certain things of his children and his followers. And as we understand the Holy One, as our understanding of him increases, then we are led to wisdom. And as we understand and understand his principles... We're free or we're liberated to make wise decisions, wiser decisions moving forward in life. In our, understand, in our submission and understanding, we find wisdom for life. And this takes us back to this premise that in every area, we've got to understand the, the rules and the principles because then we're able to make the wise decisions. God says the same is true in the broadest sense of life. He says, look, you come to me and you submit to who I am and what I'm asking you to do, and you will gain understanding. And from that understanding, you'll be free. You'll be freed to make the wisest choices possible. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Given my unique blend of my past and what's going on in my life and where I want to go, not, not, it's not enough to do what everybody else is doing because I'm so individual. What's the wise thing for me to do? But isn't there many, isn't it true that many times in your life, You've tried to apply this principle, or you wanted to apply this principle, but the problem is you already knew what the wise thing was to do. Have you ever had one of those times where, I don't want to ask this prince, I don't want to ask this question. I'm bad, I don't want to ask this. Why don't you want to ask this? Pastor, if I ask, I already know what the wise thing to do is, but I don't want to do that. If I ask the question, what is the wise thing to do, I'm going to be confronted with, yeah, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the stupid thing, the foolish thing. The dumb thing that I usually do. That's why we have all these regrets. The problem isn't that I don't know what I should do in light of my past, my present, my future. The problem is I'm afraid to ask the question because I already know the answer. There are so many things you don't have to pray about. God's already told you what to do. Well, what's the wise thing to do? What God told you to do? Yeah, but I don't want to do that. Exactly. Because we don't want to submit. We want to do what we want to do. We want to keep making bad choices so we have more regrets. That's our goal in life, it seems. Our actions would 
dictate that I'm going to do stupid things for the rest of my life and have lots more regrets. I'm good at that. That's why this issue is a preeminent issue when it's talked to wisdom. Because the beginning of wisdom isn't asking the question. The beginning of wisdom is saying to God, God, I'm going to give you my answer before I ask the question. Yes. I'm going to do the wise thing. Now let me ask you the question. That's the beginning of wisdom. This is hard for us. Because in light of my past experience and my current circumstance of future hopes and dreams, I really do want to know what the wise thing is to do. But we have to say to God, God, I have pre-decided yes. Yes to my God and King. That's a whole other level of submission and trust in God, isn't it? I mean, God, I need you to convince me this is the wise thing to do, and I need to see that. What's my payoff? What's my benefit? You know, the stock's going to go up, right? I, before I say yes. And God's like, no, no, no. You submit to getting to know me and be in relationship with me. I'm going to give you wisdom as soon as you say yes. The desire of your Heavenly Father is to guide you into regret-proofing your life, to fool-proofing your life. Every day, every situation, every relationship, every business deal, he wants to help you and give you the answer to the what is the wise thing to do. But we have to pre-decide that as God guides us in his wisdom, as God guides us to the wise decision, we have to pre-decide that we are saying yes ahead of time. Because we trust him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To have reverence for him. And to realize it's not about what what he's asking of us. It's about who is asking. And because of who is doing the asking. And what he paid on the cross for my life and salvation. The wise thing for me to do is to just say yes every single time to pre-decide. God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Why? Because you're God. And I'm not. And you're the author of all wisdom. And I have a track record of dumb and foolish and stupid. And I want to change that from here on out. Because, God, I want a lot less regrets. And he looks down at me and says, Jerry, I want that too for you. Are you going to, you're not going to like this word. God says, are you going to submit? Are you going to surrender? Pick whichever word you don't like. Whichever word you like the least or the most, take that one. He wants us to submit and surrender to his plan for wisdom in our life. Why don't we ask him to help us? We're going to have a little bit of prayer here. I'm going to ask three different groups of you. To say a prayer to God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, here's how we're going to close. Some of you have been coming to Seminole Church for weeks or months or maybe even years. And God has been, he's been knocking, he's been kind of knocking on the door of your heart. Gently knocking. And you are so close to surrendering control of your life to God. I want you in the quietness of your heart and in the privacy of your relationship with your Heavenly Father to pray this.
And just say to God, God, today is my day. I am coming your way. I am surrendering control of my life to you. The answer is yes. Can you make that your prayer? God, today's my day. I'm coming your way. I'm completely surrendering control of my life to you. The answer is yes. I'm no longer afraid to ask what is the wise thing to do. Because I am pre-deciding to do the wise thing as I surrender to you. Now, there's another group of people. Maybe you've been coming for just a little while. Maybe you're struggling with all this. You want to want to surrender your life. You don't want to surrender, but you want to want to. We all know we need to surrender. We all know we ought to. But we just don't want to yet. Here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray, Heavenly Father, I understand, but I'm not ready yet. But please bring me to the place where I can eventually want to surrender control of my life. The place where I'm able to finally, from the bottom of my heart, say, Thy will be done. Would you just be honest and tell him that, that you're not ready? He can handle that. That's a step for all of us in this journey, to want to want to. There's another group of you. Maybe this is all just brand new for you. And you may not even be sure of what I'm talking about. That's okay. Here's what I want you to think about. You don't even have to pray. You just think about this. I want you to ask yourself this question. How have I done as ruler and controller of my own life? How have I done retaining control of how my marriage is done or love or money or relationships? How have I done being the king or the queen of my own life? Can you ask yourself that question? Because listen, if there is a God who is so interested in you that he would want to assist you, what would it hurt to begin by, by saying this, or by really praying this if there's a God, and I kind of dare you to do it, to say, Heavenly Father, if, if you're out there, I do acknowledge that I need help with life. So if you're there, would you reveal yourself to me and in time bring me to the place where I would be willing to say thy will be done. If you, really are, if you really are God and you really are out there, would you reveal yourself to me? I challenge you to make that your prayer, to say those words in your own mind. Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear and recognition and the surrender of our life to our Heavenly Father. So Heavenly Father, help us all to remain submitted to your principles for life. Help us to be willing to follow you when we don't understand. Help us to be willing to say yes to whatever you ask, not because of what you ask, but because you're the one asking. 
And help us to have a lot fewer regrets. Because we start making the wise choices. Because you, the wisdom giver, give us the wisdom we need. We all ask for your wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. focusing on making wise decisions for the past six weeks. What we learned today is probably the hardest part to master. Surrendering to God isn't something we do once and then